0: Hello friends, and welcome to the Hyde Park Woodlawn podcast for August 23rd, 2015. In today's message, Pastor Tim offered a couple quiet moments of reflection for the congregation. The full length of these has been cut out of this podcast, but you are encouraged to press pause when these moments occur and take some time for your reflection as needed. Today's scripture is Proverbs 3, 21 through 26, reading from the message. Dear friend, guard clear thinking and common sense with your life. Don't for a minute lose sight of them. They'll keep your soul alive and well. They'll keep you fit and attractive. You'll travel safely. You'll neither tire nor trip. You'll take afternoon naps without a worry. You'll enjoy a good night's sleep. No need to panic over alarms or surprises or predictions that dooms days just around the corner because God will be right there with you. He'll keep you safe and sound. May God bless our understanding of Scripture.
1: It's one lovely, as always, to see you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Tim Wolfe. I um, am no longer the intern here, but I'm going to cling to that identity until I find a new one. How's that? Is that good? It's lovely to be with you today. I want to thank Drew and the praise team this morning, the, the praise and worship team, God, you guys were anointed this morning. The presence of the Lord was just so in this place. It still is in this place, and it's just a joy to be here with you. Uh, Valerie, thank you for that lovely testimony, and thank you for your witness. Uh, I want you to know that that weekend that everybody was in Cleveland, there were many, many, many of us looking your way and upholding you all in prayer. We will not let that go. We will be there with you anytime you need us. I pledge that for this site and for people all over the city. Amen. We're praying for Emily. She's away on a vacation, getting a much-needed vacation. I spoke with her just before she left. Literally, she called me from the airport, and I said, I don't even know where you guys are going or what you're doing, and she said, we're going out to Salt Lake City, and then we're going to go camping. Well, I'm not a big fan of camping myself personally, but that's okay. Walt and I have a joke in our house that camping for us is a hotel that doesn't have room service, and that's about... (laughs) But... She said right away she was quick to add, and you know I love camping, but this is my first time to go with a nine-month-old baby, and there was a nervous laugh behind that. So we're going to pray continually for Emily and Selah and Rich that they have a wonderful, wonderful time and that Selah comes home being this great outdoors kind of child. You know, Amen. <laughs> We're starting a new sermon series today, as you, as you know, and over the next week or so, we're going to be looking at anxiety, and we'll be looking, more importantly, at its counterpart, serenity. And throughout this series, we'll be focusing on the book of Proverbs, which is a tremendous, has a tremendous wealth of wisdom. We're going to talk a lot about wisdom today, and we're going to chart our way through this. We're also going to use the famous serenity prayer. You all know the serenity prayer, Amen. And that prayer that we have heard spoken time after time after time has an interesting history. So even before we get into the sermon, I just want to give you a little bit of trivia. You can use this at the dinner table sometime. The serenity prayer has become so associated with Alcoholics Anonymous and with self-help groups that a lot of people think that's where it originated. A lot of people actually presume that the founder of AA, Bill Smith, actually penned the prayer. Well, that's not quite true. About 10 years before AA was founded, the great 20th century theologian Reinhold Niebuhr wrote this prayer. And he wrote it at a time when America was working its way through the Depression and the world was clearly pivoting toward global warfare. Everybody was nervous, and so here was Niebuhr trying to pin a prayer that would express his trust in God at the same time that he was trying to cope with the anxieties of the world around him. The anxieties of the world around us create anxieties in us, don't they? Because they are destabilizing forces. And I think in our own world today, as Valerie's testimony bears witness, there is a tremendous amount of anxiety about what's going on in our world, and that filters down into our own lives. And so today we're gonna talk about our lives in the world, but I would like us to start actually literally entering this sermon series with the prayer itself, not just the abbreviated part, but the whole prayer as Niebuhr wrote it. And since you've been sitting for a couple minutes, why don't we stand and we'll walk into this series together and just say this prayer that's commonly known as the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. You can be seated. I love today's text. I love today's text. And we're going to just walk through it piece by piece, starting with the opening verse Dear friend, guard clear thinking and common sense with your life. Don't for a minute lose sight of them. Guard clear thinking. And common sense with your life, don't for a minute lose sight of them. Can you hear the drama woven into this? Do you hear it? Guard clear thinking with your life as if your life depended on it. Because our lives do depend on remaining clear-headed and commonsensical. Amen? We have to be clear-headed and commonsensical. And the Proverbs writer said, guard this. And then the the writer goes on to say, and don't for a minute let them out of your sight. Because the minute... We turn from clear thinking and from common sense is the very instance we will reach for all kinds of unhealthy ideas. It is the minute that we will begin to have wild imaginings and exaggerated ideas. You ever know how that goes? Did you ever see that? A traffic jam is suddenly the end of your job. Right? You know how this goes? Hold on to your clear thinking. Hold on to your common sense. Because what happens is if we let our worst fears carry us away, we will wind up in a situation with greater despair and confusion. It's just that simple. And at its core, that's precisely what anxiety is. It's confusion and it's despair, And when we put these things together, they become this toxic cocktail that blurs our vision, it distorts our hearing, and it clouds our mind. And what's more, when we lose clarity and sensibility, you know what walks out the door with them? Serenity. When you're not thinking clearly, when you're not thinking sensibly, don't think you're going to have peace of mind. It's not going to happen. All we're left with when they go is constant churning, one question after another, one really bad and lousy idea after another. Do you know what I'm talking about? I need some nods today, okay? Because we're getting close to the bone with some of this stuff. One, uh, when stress wraps itself around us, we can just forget about thinking right. All we're doing is thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and not one of those ideas, not one of them, I'm getting smiles of recognition, right? <laughs> thinking and thinking and not one of those ideas is wise enough or strong enough to pull us out of our mess. The writer of this passage is very thorough in how she describes the benefits of keeping your head screwed on right. And did I say she? Yes, I did. I did, and there's a reason for this. The Hebrew word for wisdom is feminine. The words in today that are paraphrased in today's text for clear thinking and common sense are feminine. And in the Hebrew Bible, where Proverbs resides, anytime you see wisdom personified, she's always female Now those of you that grew up heathen on the King James Version, you know in Sunday School You're gonna have a little problem with this right because who wrote who wrote Proverbs? Solomon right Solomon is the writer of Proverbs. Well, the truth is we don't know who wrote Proverbs. We don't know if it was one person. We don't know if it was a hundred people. We don't know how it came to be. In all likelihood, it's just a collection of wise sayings that were organized and passed down over the centuries. And when I read Proverbs, when I listen to the writer of Proverbs, I don't hear a man. I challenge you this week, spend some time in Proverbs and hear the writer's voice without all of those layers attached. I hear someone that sounds a whole lot more like a wise grandmother or a wise mother or a savvy sister or a really savvy girlfriend who could just cut to the chase and say what needs to get said with a kind of authority that only a caring, kind, wise person can have. So let's hear her out. Let's hear what she says. She says, Clear thinking and common sense will keep your soul alive and well. And then she explains what she means, and she talks about us. First, she turns to those of us who are fretful about their appearance. What she says is, and I'm going to paraphrase all through this message so get ready, she says, a level head will keep you good looking. Amen. A level head... (laughs) So if you're wondering why you can't get your, you know, your stuff on straight, you need to maybe check how you're thinking, right? <laughs> a level head will keep you fit and good-looking. And isn't that the truth? Stress will send us to the kitchen every time, looking for the Ben and Jerry's, grabbing for the Doritos. Stress makes some of us eat too much. It makes others of us drink too much. And a few of us, it gets us on all of the above. Amen? But there's another side to it, because for the, that's part of us. Then there's the other group where stress will starve us to death and have us walking around like zombies. It will deplete us to the point that we can't even pick up a fork. And either way, over time, stress will eventually lock us up in our heads and in our houses with ugly ideas about ourselves, with ugly ideas about other people, and over time, stress and anxiety will make us ugly. Think of the most stressed out person you know and tell me they're beautiful. You can't do it. <laughs> Stress and anxiety will make you Am I lying? Think of Ugh. Here's a story and I'm a witness to this. So I was at the end of my internship here and I was working really hard at school and it was a really tough semester and I had finals and I had papers and I had things all sorts of you know school stuff to do, and I was here working with you, and you all by yourselves can be a full-time job, you know that, <laughs> amen, so I was here working with you and working through school, and I had a full-time job, and just about then was when that job exploded, and there was all this work that needed to be done, and I was just going through the house, and I would just go through the house, oh, 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 oh. and finally, Walter said, honey, you got to do something about this, You have got to fix this somehow. You've got to find a way to get out from under some of this pressure. And my answer was, how could I do that? I'm not generating and it's all happening to me. And it was like, woe is me. I've got so much anxiety. And you know what he said to me? I will never forget it. He said, can you just fix your face? (laughs) Can you just do something about your face? Because all you're doing is walking around like this and it's making me crazy. Stress and anxiety will make you ugly. Amen. There's more riches here. I don't want you to walk away and say, the preacher got up and that's all he talked about, right? (laughs) Next thing the writer turns her attention to, she turns her attention to those of us who don't think we can make it. We're worried we may not have the strength to go on. We're worried that we may turn a corner somewhere and stumble into some big trouble that has nothing to do with us. And in the middle of all of this, Mother Wisdom says to them, settle down. Just settle down. You'll make it. If you use the good sense God gave you, you'll get through your troubles without tripping up. And then she glances over to those of us who can't sleep. And we got a few sleepless folks here. Can't sleep for worrying about what didn't get done, what's got to get done, what needs to get done, what probably never will get done. And to that, she says, you know, you ought to know better then get all twisted up in stuff you can't control. Why don't you learn to control yourself? Take charge of yourself. And if you learn to control your thoughts and bring up common sense and clear-headedness, you'll sleep just fine. Are you seeing how she's, w- she's working the room? All right, Mother Wisdom is working the room this morning, and I just want you to know that. And finally, she turns to all of us nervous Nellies, and we know who we are. All right, I'm a nervous Nellie. The slightest change in a situation can send us, send us into a tailspin, amen? Think about it. A mild cough will find some of us on WebMD in a heartbeat, and before you know it, we, we have early onset of pneumonia, right? And the air just may be dry, but before you know it, we need to make sure our insurance is in order because we're going to have to go to the ER, Amen. A friend or a loved one can say something just a little, little off-kilter to us, and before you know it, we are looking at a relationship on the skids. I don't know why she said that. I don't know what he meant by that. Maybe the person was just tired. <laughs> right? Maybe they weren't thinking. Maybe you were talking to them and they said, yeah, 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 because you they weren't interested in what you had to say. It doesn't mean the relationship's over. Right? How about this? The boss swings by the desk and says, when you get a minute, can you come into the office? We don't know what's on the other side of that door. But in the time it takes us to get up from our computers and go to wherever the boss is, we have decided this little quick meeting is an exit interview. And in our heads, we are already trying to figure out where are we going to put our resumes? What are we going to do? Who's going to call? How am I going to pay the rent? What happens? That's for the nervous Nellies in us. And to that... Mother Wisdom says the panic button is not your friend. It won't do you one bit of good because what you really need to know is you're going to need, the way you're going to find serenity is to know that God is right there with you, that God will, be, God will keep you safe and sound. That means God is your serenity. God is your peace of mind. How do you feel about that? I struggle with it. I'll be honest. I struggle with it. Because, see, when anxiety descends on me, my first reflex has me trying to work everything out myself. I have got to figure this all out. And I will argue with myself and argue with myself until I'm blue in the face, until eventually, and it take, time after time, I have to have come to this realization. When you argue with yourself... You lose. You automatically lose. It's a mathematical inevitability. There are two sides to an argument, right? A winning and a losing. And if you're playing both sides, guess what? You're going to lose. You are going to lose. At the very best, you're just going to come out where you started. But we let ourselves get all twisted up, and we try to figure out how we can get through this and how we can figure it out. And my question to us today is, why do we do that? Why do we let anxiety overtake us? And I've got a couple theories. This is no, don't quote me. It's a theory. There are some of us that need anxiety. Some of us just groove on it. You know, folks, that are, they're just anxiety junkies? They just need it. So if they didn't have troubles to talk about, they wouldn't have a word to say. Amen? But I think overall, we live in a culture that praises anxiety, Because anxiety has, in our culture, has become a symbol of importance and responsibility. Think about that. We are all, one of the best ways we assert our importance and significance in the world is how much we've got to do, and how many people we've got to take care of, and who's relying on us, and all the deadlines that we have. And I put this on Facebook yesterday, and I'll tell you right now, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. So don't just understand that, because we will do that. I've got to be there. If I don't get there, it's not going to happen. Amen? You ever been trying to talk to a friend, and they've got 15 emails coming in, and 30 people are texting them, and they're trying to keep track of what's going on on Twitter and Facebook, and then the phone rings? I just sometimes just want, you know, I have to pray. I'm like you. I'm not quite a throat punch, but those folks <laughs> a little slap in the head, a little slap every now and then. It's like, come to. You're not that important. Amen. But we have somehow or another allowed allowed ourselves to be deceived that if we're all strung up all the time, we must be important. But anxiety, folks, does not make you big. It reduces you. Anxiety is a liar and it's a crippler. And the only way that you're going to get out of those kind of traps that anxiety lays for you is to find a new kind of habit. Here's what I've learned about dealing with anxiety. Giving up. Giving up is how you get out of it. Let that settle for a minute. Giving up is how, when anxiety seizes you, just say, okay. All right. Whatever you got to say, that's fine. Because giving up lets you know that you're no longer fighting with these things that are making you anxious, and it gives you an ability to turn your attention somewhere else. Giving up. Is how you win, because giving up is what moves anxiety out of the way and makes room for God's presence. As long as you're tangling with it, it's going to be there. So just giving up is what gets it out of the way. And and when life's troubles plunge us into confusion and despair, then this is when we need to hear Mother Wisdom say, God is with you. Our surest escape comes by practicing God's presence. It's a conscious move. It is a conscious decision on our part that we make despite every anxious impulse we have. And as we go through this sermon series in Proverbs, I want us to remember one thing about this book and wisdom. Okay, Carry this with you for the next few weeks. Carry it with you always. In Proverbs, wisdom is not a talent. And it's not a gift. You're not born wise. You don't have to go through a whole lot of experience to become wise. In Proverbs, wisdom is a discipline and it's a skill. You learn how to be wise. And from the very first in the book, and twice in the book, Mother Wisdom says this: Wisdom in the book of Proverbs and in our lives starts with God. In, verse, uh, in Proverbs 1 and 9, or 1 and 7, excuse me, and again in chapter 9 and 10, she says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. doesn't mean we need to be afraid of God, that God is going to come, a God of wrath. What she's talking about is putting God in God's rightful place in our lives. Put God in rightful place. And when we put God where God needs to be, and you all know where that is, right? We don't serve a second place God. Hello? When we put God in God's rightful place in our lives, many of the things that we become anxious about Go away. When God is above all, that boss, that cranky boss, doesn't look so tough all of a sudden. When God is in, is in rule and reign in our lives. When God is our go-to person in times of anxiety, that messy relative, the one that's always stirring the pot, just an annoyance. Do you see how this works? We're gonna fig- we're gonna find a way to work it too here in a minute. I'm we're not L- Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman says that folks who learn to practice God's presence discover a means by which to turn themselves and their distress over to a power conceived to be greater than themselves. When this has been accomplished, there is relief and peace. This is not a single act, but a thing that may be done over and over, and I would add over and over and over and over, until at last peace is done, and peace has come. He's talking about practicing God's presence. Do you hear that? It's a practice. It's a discipline. Practicing God's presence, inviting God into our lives in such a way that anxiety and all that goes with it has to be set aside so that God can have supreme authority in our lives. That's why praise is so important. I hope you guys know that we don't get up and sing praise songs around here just so we can wait for everybody to show up. There's a reason why we come to church and we sing praise songs. Because when we're in this space, we are exalting God, lifting God to the highest place in our lives. We are practicing God's presence so that when the word comes, when the sacraments come forth, we are in a position. We were all squared away. We've got it all figured out as to where God is in our lives. It's you I live for every day. Amen? Learning how to practice God's presence is no different than anything else, and it starts with recognizing the need to learn. Learning begins with recognizing what you don't know. And then from there, it requires the diligence and the discipline that transform learning into knowledge and knowledge into habit. And this is really where we're headed today with practicing God's presence. We need it to become a habit in our lives. Because how often on any given day do we just stop and and become knowledgeably aware that God is present? How many times do you do that in a day? I don't do it very often. How many times do we allow our anxieties to overtake us and we become so embroiled in all of our stress that we don't even believe God is there? that God's presence is eclipsed. Lots for me. I have some clients that I really need God's presence to work with me on, amen? But in the middle of it all, How can we transform our situation and learn to practice God's presence as a habit? These are very important questions, and fortunately, we're not the first to ask them. Down through the centuries, Christians have repeatedly said, how can I practice God's presence? How can I get God's life integrated into my own more closely? And a lot of different disciplines and practices have evolved over the years. In terms of acknowledging God's presence Probably the finest that we have is called the Daily Examine. Anybody ever heard of the Daily Examine? It was developed by St. Ignatius of Loyola. And it's a very simple technique that I'm going to really encourage us to take. It is about reflecting on the recent past, identifying places where God felt or was seen to be more present, and identifying those places where God felt absent. And then praying to ask God to continue to alert us to God's presence in our lives. It's a very simple exercise. And if you, not, if you practice it, you know this. When uh, Ignatius handed it to the other Jesuits, he was a, je- a 16th century Jesuit, when he handed it to them and said, we're going to do this, he told them, this is a gift from God. And if you implement this daily examine in your life, I guarantee you, you will agree with him because it will change the way you get through your day. Most people practice it twice. They do it once about lunch and then they do it toward the end of the day. Since, this, since we're newbies, we're going to do a condensed version real quick. Do you want to do it? Are you interested? What we're going to do is we're just going to take a quick moment and do a daily exam and exercise. And here's how it's going to go. I need y'all to smile at me because the, you know you ever know when the teacher gets the really cool? Okay, teacher gets the really cool idea, and the rest of the class is boy that's lame. So there, yeah, thank you. What we're going to do is we're going to take a minute, just a minute, 60 seconds, and we're going to think over the past week. And what I want you to do is identify one or two times during that week when you knew or felt that God was truly present with you. It doesn't have to be big. This does not have to be like you were going down the Damascus Road and got knocked off the donkey and called to be in the ministry. It could be as simple as, I was, you know, seriously, I was just feeling alone. And then I was reminded that I'm not alone. It could be just that simple. Then I want us to also think about the moments when We should have been feeling God's presence, or we could have been feeling God's presence, but God felt absent. We're going to take 60 minutes to silence and think about this, and then after that, I want you just to be prepared to share one instance, just one of these thoughts that came through your mind with somebody near you. We're going to do a little community exercise, okay? Aaron's got the timer. Let's go. Take a minute and just talk to a neighbor. and Let them know if you, what you discovered in that one minute's time of reflection. Very quickly. Practicing God's presence is how we recognize God is always there in the best of times and the worst of times. So I encourage you to take this daily exam. And I actually went to FedEx and had them print some examine cards, and Jeff is going to have them at the end of the service take one of these home with you. I would really encourage you to integrate this practice into your daily devotions. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be a Jesuit about it and do it twice a day, and you know. But it's a very, very helpful way to enter into a prayer and practice of God's presence into that kind of life, which I think we all need. If Mother Wisdom were here with us today, after we've sort of talked about this, she'd go back to her point wherever you are, and whatever you're going through, children, she would say, God is right there with you. God will keep you. God is your serenity, and now I can accept that a little better. Amen? God is your peace of mind. And then, like a true and very wise mother, she'd probably give us one of those looks and say, but the only way you're going to find that out is to practice Practice, practice. Amen? Let's pray. Ever-present God, we know about your presence that fills the world, that occupies our lives, that makes our life in the world true and good. We notice your powerful transformative presence in word and sacrament, in food and in water, in gestures of mercy and practices of justice, in gentle neighbors and daring gratitude. We count so on your presence and then we plunge without intending into your absence. We find ourselves alone, abandoned, without resourcing remembrance of your goodness or hope for your future. We quickly become mired in anxiety and threat and risk beyond our coping. In your absence, we bid your presence come again, come soon, Come here, O Lord. Come to our days like a calming breeze. Come to our community to be living love amongst us. We acknowledge your dreadful absence and insist. Yes, Lord, we insist on your serene presence. Be with us, and we will be ever mindful that you are there. Amen.